0: Well, it's a joy to be here tonight in the Lord's house, and I'm grateful that you're here. I would be mighty lonely if you didn't show up tonight, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Let me express my gratitude for all that the church has done to put this meeting on and to make it what it is. I really enjoy all of the fellowship and the refreshments and the food and and just a good preaching, and that it's warmed my heart. I, I don't say this um, just to be saying it, but I needed this meeting this year more than you did, I'm certain. And the Lord has warmed my heart, and I want to be a preacher. When I heard these other men preach, it made me want to be a preacher. And it made me want to be more of a preacher. And being around Brother David, Brother, you your fellowship, Brother Kevin's fellowship, And Brother Phillips' fellowship just makes me want to be a preacher. And I'm grateful for the investment that all of you have made into my life. And all of you that's here, I don't know who belongs where, but we're grateful that you are here tonight. And so I'll be leaving after the service and going home to my wife and boys, and we look forward to that. The choir was wonderful. Brother Greg, thank you for the good work that you've done on the choir. And all the singing and everything was great. And we thank the Lord for it. I want you to take your Bibles tonight to the book of Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11. And I want to read uh, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And uh, that can be real good or real bad, I guess. I've uh, preached from these verses quite a bit. And when I was uh, praying about what to preach... I knew what I was going to preach tonight, but I didn't know what I was going to preach on Monday night. And so that was a surprise. But I knew what I was going to preach on tonight. And uh, that was strange. But I want to read um, verse number 33 uh, down through the rest of the chapter of Romans chapter number 11. Would you stand with me while I read the text? Romans chapter 11, in verse number 33. The Bible says, Paul writing here, as he's about to make a transition uh, from speaking about doctrine to duty, he pauses in these verses, 33 through 36, and he gives us a doxology. Uh, He pauses for a praise break. He's about to talk about what we're supposed to do as God's people after having been saved as God's people. And he pauses for this moment of praise. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever, and everybody say, Amen. I want to talk to you tonight on these verses Concerning Paul's doxology, the doxology of the Apostle Paul. You can be seated, and I'm going to ask the Lord to help us. Our Father, we thank you for the day that you've blessed us with. We're grateful, God, for all the blessings of life you've given us on today, for the gift of life, Lord, the gift of breath. We thank you, Lord, for the ability we have to move and to have our being. We're grateful, God, for the Word of God that you put in our hearts today, we're grateful for the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, we're asking you tonight, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might help us. Lord, these are familiar verses to me, but God, not Lord, not exhaustible verses. I don't know all that there is to know about these verses. I've got a little page of notes, God, but I'm not depending upon these notes necessarily. I'm depending upon the Holy Spirit to help me. I am needy tonight, Lord. I'm needing your touch and your spirit, and I pray that, God, you would bless me and bless the people and bless the preaching for Jesus' sake. Uh, Lord, not for my sake. I don't care about myself, Lord, if it be your will for me to fall. Lord, if you can get glory, I pray that that would happen, Lord, tonight. Whatever your will might be, I pray that, God, your will might be done And I'll be careful to give you praise for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. Uh, I know you're probably familiar with this word doxology. But as I began to put this message together, I read about doxologies and where the word came from. The word doxology comes from two Greek words. The first being doxa, which means glory. And the second is the word logos, which means, of course, the word. And so a doxology is literally a word of glory. We sing doxologies to give glory and praise to God. It has always been the custom of the church to at times uh, take time out and to sing what is known as the doxology at the close of a service. You might say our hymn books are filled with doxologies. There's a number of different doxologies. Many of them are Roman Catholic in their origin. And the Baptist people in general don't know much about those ancient doxologies. I think the best known doxology was written by a gentleman by the name of Thomas Ken. Thomas Ken lived around the 1600s. And he penned down this doxology in 1637. Thomas Ken was an Anglican clergyman. And he wrote books on morning prayers and evening prayers, and morning hymns and evening hymns. And he would write these hymns and these prayers, and at the end of those prayers, he would quote or sing the doxology that he'd written. You may be familiar with these words. He wrote this Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, we that's grown up in Baptist churches in the South know little or nothing about those types of things because to us they remind us of a cold and dry and liturgical and dead congregation who quote things out of the basic mechanics of it all. But in reality, doxology is a praise unto God. And I think everybody here is probably interested in praising God because he's certainly worthy of that praise tonight. The word of God is filled with doxologies. In fact, as I began to think about the word doxology in those in the Bible, it was difficult to narrow it down to just one cluster of verses. You'll find doxologies in every epistle. As I began to read through the epistles, I found several. Here's a few. Romans fifteen thirteen says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's a doxological statement. It's a praise break. Paul it takes a moment to praise God in the middle of what he was doing. You'll find First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Paul writing concerning the resurrection. We know these verses well. It says, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable." Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a doxological statement. Galatians six eighteen says, "Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit." Amen. Ephesians three twenty says, "Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above." All that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus that all ages world without end. And Paul says, Amen. It is a doxological statement. Here's Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding that shall keep your hearts and minds... Through Christ Jesus. Here's first Thessalonians five and twenty three. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the list goes on and on and on as Paul pins the epistles. By inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he has a praise break, a pause of what he's doing and taking place in, and he has a moment of praise. I like that last doxological statement in the Word of God. Revelation 22:20. 20, he which testified these things said, Surely, I come quickly. Amen. And John says even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And he says amen. These are doxologies praise, sometimes mixed with prayer, that come at the end of prayers or sermons. As we've said, they come coming into songs and sermons and religious lectures. Tonight we have a doxology that comes at the end of 2020 Bible Conference. It's a time to pause and have a praise break, a time of worship in what God has done for us and what God has done in us. That's what, that's what Paul writes, a doxology in the middle of life. He takes time to praise God. Now, if you get bogged down in life, you won't have time for a doxology. Amen? Amen. But if you'll take a moment and think about all that God has done for you, well, you might clean yourself off a spot and have a doxology. You you may have a praise break. That's what the black brethren say, amen. And you may have a moment when you can't help yourself. Or you may have a moment when you you just got to worship a God that you've learned more. Listen to me. We cannot worship a God we do not know. And there's some people who are saved, but they know little about the bigness and the wonder of God. And I'm certainly not suggesting I know everything about God, but the parts I know has changed my life. Can I get a witness? And the parts I know propels me and pushes my heart to worship because he's so worthy of my worship. So to John the Apostle Paul tonight, as he gives this wonderful doxology of praise. Paul has just written extensively about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, or the doctrine of salvation, and that theology has brought about Paul's doxology because good belief produces good behavior. Kind of get a witness. If you believe right, you'll behave right. If you've got good theology, it'll it'll, it'll promote good doxology in your heart. I like what Kent Hughes says, Brother Kevin. He says, Our study of God and his ways among us should turn our hearts to music. It should, my friend, make melody and make harmonies in our hearts. Uh, one of my favorite preacher h b Charles says uh, about this text, Paul climbs uh, as high as he can on the mountain of truth uh, and prostrates himself about around the incomprehensibility of God. He rejoices in the fact that God knows what he 's doing, uh, even when we don 't know what god 's doing uh, he 's not baffled uh, he 's not shocked. Uh, He's not surprised that God's got the whole world in his hand. Amen. And it is so, as our little fellow sang tonight, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Brother, it don't get no deeper than that, does it? Thank God F.B. Meyer that noted theologian was asked once what the deepest statement that he knows about God is. And F.B. Meyer in front of many reporters said that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let me pause and have my doxology tonight myself and say I'm glad Jesus loves me. I'm glad God knows my name. I'm glad the Holy Ghost lives in my heart. I'm glad he's my comforter tonight. And there's never a time when I'm by myself. Never a time when I'm all alone. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. I right, Time out. Let's have a praise break. Amen. Praise God for doxologies. And so at the end of this meeting, at the end of Bible conference, I want to magnify Paul's doxology by giving you three things. First of all, I think Paul tells us in these verses that we should praise God by recognizing his greatness. By recognizing his greatness. Now all of the words in these verses I've read are moving but the most power-packed word, I believe, in these verses is the smallest of words. And it's that little word, oh. Uh, Paul has an O oh moment. Uh, yeah, Pentecostals uh, often have uh, blowing moments. They'll say, Phew. I've seen some Baptists do that, Amen. Hallelujah. He has an old moment. He's a man. Listen, he's writing concerning being saved. And Paul can't take it no more. And Paul has the king happens because Paul remembered where he was when God found him on the road to Damascus. And all that talk about being justified swelled up in Paul's heart and he couldn't take it no more. And Paul says, oh, oh, he says, I can imagine him pulling that pen of inspiration out Said, I'm going to have a praise break a doxology because if anybody's not worthy to be saved it was me but thank God he saved me in spite of my unworthiness. Man I don't feel like preaching tonight. Oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That word oh means to groan. It means to sigh. It has the idea of an enraptured heart. And that word enraptured means to be transported with pleasure. It means to be not be able to contain yourself. It is something that comes upon you at a moment's notice and causes great delight. Have you ever had the King Hippets? Has God ever swelled up in your soul and surprised you when you didn't see it coming? Praise God. Now listen, there's been a few times that I've walked into Walmarts, as we say in Tennessee. And God, the Holy Ghost, reminds me of how unworthy I was to be saved. It makes no difference whether I'm in the Walmart or the Roses or the Kmart or the convenience store. Thank God, something swells up on the inside of me and propels my heart to worship because I recognize that God did not owe me one thing, but God, in spite of not owing me something, and gave me everything and I have myself a doxology, amen. I think the Greek scholar A.T. Robertson writes Paul's argument concerning God's grace and goodness carry him to the heights and now he pauses on the edge of the precipice as he contemplates God's wisdom and knowledge fully conscious of his inability to sound the bottom with the plummet of human reason and words. Thus being interpreted, Paul praises because he can't wrap his heart and mind around God. Paul's mind is now empty, but his heart is full. And with a sense of wonder, he celebrates a God who is too deep and too high to be figured and fathomed. Amen. The depth of God is something that you and I cannot understand and comprehend. And yet at the same time, it can be so shallow that a little child can understand the gospel and be saved by the amazing grace of God. Let me pause and run one rabbit tonight. About two weeks ago, I was preaching on a Sunday morning. A little 10-year-old girl by the name of Ella who is a precious, sweet, I mean, uh, we've got 44 children in our church. And Ella is the sweetest, spirited child of them all. And I was preaching, Brother Kevin, and I said, I said, some of you are selfish I said, Some of you may live as selfish individuals, never thinking about the will of God. And at the close of that service, I didn't even give an invitation. But brother, uh, she came to her mom and said, Mama, I'm selfish. That's me. And I must be saved by the grace of God. And she stood before the church uh, and she said, God, save me. And I don't want to be selfish no more. That child understood what theologians cannot wrap their minds around. And that is uh, the bigness of God. Amen. So shallow that a child can comprehend And yet at the same time, the depth of God's love can be so deep that the scholar and theologian can debate about the workings of God from here until Jesus comes. Amen. Paul writes, oh, the depth. He's talking about a God who controls everything and knows everything. And so while it's true tonight you can't know everything about God, there's one thing that is true, that you can know the God who knows everything. We don't have to know everything when we have a God who knows everything. Isn't that right? I've never been to Washington, D.C., but they tell me in D.C. that the largest library in the world is in Washington, D.C. 838 miles of bookshelves. Uh, 70 million manuscripts, 38 million books. Brother David Barnett would have a time in Washington, D.C., amen? Now, that's a lot of information. We live in what is known as the information age. With the press of a button, you can learn all about uh, the coronavirus or whatever it's called, You can learn about all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of uh, things tonight, but none of that information scratches the surface about what God knows. God knows everything. Someone said, Preacher, what does God know? I'm glad you asked. God is omniscient. God knows all things. There's nothing that God does not know. Uh, God knows all things known. God knows all things unknown. And God knows all things knowable. Uh, God knows all things in the past. God knows all things in the present. And God knows all things in the future. Uh, God knows all things actual. Uh, God knows all things potential. And God knows all things theoretical. Uh, God knows all things in heaven But God knows all things on the earth, and God knows all things in hell. When did God know these things? Uh, God has perfect knowledge. Uh, He is eternal. Uh, God's never learned not one thing. In eternity past, God knew all things. Uh, And when the hiccup of time we call eternity uh, finally is consummated, uh, God will not know one more thing that is always known. uh, Because God has always known everything. Uh, That's a doxology. (laughs) And that's my God. Amen. If you were to put on your scuba gear and dive into the wisdom of God, you could never plumb or fathom and understand the greatness of God. Isn't that right? His decisions and decree are so wise. Uh, you can't analyze them. You can't, uh, you can't make sense of them because uh, he's the infinite God. And we're a finite man. His ways are past finding out. You can't track God, but you can trust God. Uh, and when you think you've got God figured out, he'll do some, something else uh, that reminds you, you do not understand all that there is to know about God tonight. Amen. I like verse 34. No one has ever known the mind of the Lord nor taught him anything nor told him anything. Listen, he's too great to be anybody's student and too great to have a student exhaust him as a study. And what you can do, however, is right now stand before the greatness of God and worship this great God that does not, you don't deserve not one thing. That vegetable soup looked good tonight, and there's not one solitary person in the church who deserved a grilled cheese and vegetable soup, but God, the better. The hand of God has supplied our needs one more time I say thank God praise his name I don't deserve the grace of God I don't deserve the ability to raise my hands I don't deserve his free grace in my heart but I thank God he's been so gracious and so wonderful to me amen, amen. amen. praise God and so I think Paul says to us Praise Him by recognizing His greatness. But here's my favorite point. Praise Him and recognize His grace. While we cannot trace or track all that God is doing, there's a way in which we can come into contact with what God is doing. Amen? And that avenue, that vehicle... Whereby each person here can come into contact with a thrice holy God being unholy is the avenue and vehicle of his amazing grace. Look at verse 35. He says, Or who had first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Here Paul asks a rhetorical question. He says, Who had first given a gift to God? In other words, calls God to give. Uh, Paul reminds these Roman believers, and I think he reminds us at Charity Baptist Church wherever you might be from, that God is always the first giver, and you and I are always the first taker. He gives unto us and because of what God gives, uh, we return a sacrifice of praise uh, again in a thanksgiving. And that's how salvation works. Uh, God makes the first move. Uh, he thought about you before you ever had your first thought. Uh, time out. Let's say hallelujah. God chose us in Christ before we had a choice. And that doesn't make me some, listen, some bad cuss word. It makes me a Bible believer. My God loved me before I knew I needed to be loved tonight. That's God's wonderful, amazing grace. Isn't that right? That's how God's grace works. Isn't that right? He says praise him and receive His grace tonight and and worship because of His grace. Uh, Listen, you never have offered anything to God that caused Him to turn towards you and He never got anything from you before He gave you everything. That's the grace of God. Amen. You don't impress God. Here's a better one than that you don't depress God either. Brother David, once I, was, once I was praying, and I said, Lord, thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. And the Holy Ghost said, when you were unlovable. Do you think some, for some reason you're lovable now? I said, I'm sorry, Lord. About that time, I said, But Lord, I'm sorry for my, my failures. And the Holy Ghost said, Son, He recognized you but dust. You don't depress God. And then I said, But I've let you down, Lord. And He says, You've not let God down. Because God recognizes all your fallibilities and your, your pitfalls, and yet God loves you in spite of those things. Why, well, we ought to call time out and have a dockside. Amen? You didn't know us anything. In other words, since nobody gave God anything first, what He gives us in some payback. For anything that God has done for us. Here's what he said who had first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. In other words, God did not owe us one thing. Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? He didn't owe me one thing. He could have let me, listen, died in my sins. And God would have still been God. Amen. But in 1982, at the Lincoln Missionary Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, where Percy Ray had been preaching a meeting, uh, listen, I had went there that night that morning, and I was minding my own business. I was seven years old. Uh, And I was probably coloring my Scooby-Doo coloring book and eating uh, Cheez-Its kind of get a witness right there. But the Holy Ghost uh, broke in on my soul and caused uh, old-time conviction uh, to come into my young heart. And because of that, I looked at my dear mother and said, Mom, I want to be saved. My brother had been saved three weeks prior. and He became a super soul winner, always telling me I better get saved too. Amen. And so I, she said, well, son, you'll have to go it alone. Mama can't go with you. I didn't have nobody get beside me, but my brother coached me into what to say. He said, all you've got to do is say, Lord, save me a sinner. Now, I know that's elementary. He didn't give me many Bible verses, but I felt the weight and the fear of the judgment of God and I know that's mighty young and, and sometimes I question some things in some people's heart but I recognize the brokenness in my soul and I went to the altar and I said God save me a sinner. I'm a wretched, vile sinner God in need of the Holy Ghost and part faith and give me the, the, the grace to believe. And guess what? God done exactly what He says. He'll do to everybody who comes to Him and ask Him. You saved me by his grace. I'm closing on the. we built a house, Brother Kevin, and we're closing in a couple of weeks. We're going to get to move in. And that church I got saved in, unfortunately, is no longer church. It disbanded about, about three months ago. And they sold the, it was a beautiful big church. God used that church in a mighty way. But the pew I was sitting on, When I got convicted, they called me and said, Brother, do you want anything in this church? I said, I want that pew." And I got a carpenter to saw it in two and put a cap on this side, a cap on that side, and those pews will be sitting on my farmhouse front porch. And I'll sit on those pews, and every time somebody comes up on my doorstep and they say something about those pews, I say, there's a story behind those pews, and I might have myself a doxological moment. I might do a spiritual two-step, a spiritual, listen to me, a spiritual two-step and praise God, Because I recognize that God did not owe me not one thing. But yet God, the God of glory, rescued my soul, convicted my heart, saved me by the wonderful grace of God. And I ain't never got over being saved. Amen. I I love good books and good sermons and good illustrations and I don't know, maybe this may get me run out of here, but I love Chuck Swindoll. I just like to hear the dude, he tells good stories. And it just warms my heart, Brother David. And a while back, he was telling a story to illustrate the grace of God. Now, I don't want anybody to be happy right here. I don't want anybody to compose yourself. This is what Chuck Swindoll says about grace. He says, suppose you had a six-year-old son and a murderer breaks into your house in the night and takes that little boy and kills him. That murder's found. If you were to take your boy and kill, the, and your own power and kill the murderer, that would be vengeance. He said if you were to be content to let the legal process play out and he received the death penalty, that would be justice. But he said if you were to take that man... And plead for his pardon. Amen. And take him into your house. And drive him home and say sir. This is your new room. Everything I've got is yours. I'm going to put you into my will. Everything I own will one day be yours. And In place of my son. He said that would be the grace of God. But I've got one better than that. God wrapped himself up in his son, Jesus Christ. Lowered himself down through the heavens in a cord of love wrapped himself up in swaddling clothes walked 33 and a half years a sinless, spotless Savior walked up Golgotha's hill walked the cobblestone paths of Jerusalem was crucified, flogged beaten and blooded and bruised laid down willingly upon the cross of Calvary and they nailed my precious Lord to that cross someone said that buzzards could be seen flying overhead. As our Lord's body dropped into that hole that had been previously dug and yet my Lord hung there between heaven and earth and he was—he died on that cross was buried in the grave and three days later got up from the grave and because he got up one of these days I'm going to get up to praise God it don't get no better than that can, can I get a witness right there I say praise God we should worship him because of his grave Amen. But there's one more thing. Not only should we recognize his greatness and recognize or to receive his grace, but thirdly, we should reveal his glory in our praise. Look at verse number 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Did you know we exist for one purpose? That's to bring him glory. Paul writes in Ephesians, For we are his workmanship. I think that word workmanship is the Greek word poema which we get our word poem from when God saved us he's writing a beautiful poem putting it together sweet words I thought about brother Philip and his paintings I can draw myself I draw stick figures and little cats and stuff like that brother Philip draws all together different things and he's the he's the architect he's the genius behind the painting and when he sits down I, I would probably expect he's got something in mind when he begins to paint the lines and uh, the bold face colors and he's got some particular thing behind what he's wanting to convey in that particular portrait that he's, he was putting on canvas or putting on paper did you know when God saved us man I feel like He had something in mind. (laughs) He's taken the hammer of grace and the chisel of faith, and he's got something in mind. You're not going to believe this. Me. I know I don't look like much now, but he's working on me. And one of these days, you ain't going to recognize me. I'm going to be just like Jesus. God loved his son Jesus so much he's determined to make everybody in this room a spitting image of him. Someone said to me, uh, uh, Brother uh, Doug, somebody said to me one time, you a Christian. And I just said it to kind of get a little controversy. I said, not yet. <laughs> Some of y'all, they were looking at me like y'all are. I'm saved. And he's determined to make me a Christian. <laughs> he's making me a Christian. And sometimes I fail, but sometimes I feel like I'm portraying the Lord Jesus. And what a joy that is tonight. Kent Hughes again writes just the most uplifting doxological statement in the entire New Testament. All things were made by him and without him, were not anything made that was made. All of creation sustained by God. I love R.C. Sproul's statement. He said, "If there's one maverick molecule in the universe running loose outside the scope of God's sovereign control, God would not be sovereign." But that's not so. God knows all the specks of dust, and God knows where you're at tonight. I was uh, watching a video several years ago, Brother Kevin of a Christian scientist who was explaining creation. And he was looking at that verse in Colossians where it says, and by him all things consist. Remember that verse? It means that all things are held together by Christ. And Brother Greg, this Christian scientist, he blew up the universe and showed us the supernova and showed us the atmosphere and all of these massive planets. Did you know Earth and I hope there's no science teachers in here. <laughs> earth, I think, is the smallest planet in the solar system. There's, there's things out there that are hundreds and hundreds of times bigger. You can watch this video, by the way. It's if the earth were the size of a golf ball. That's the name of the video. And earth's the smallest. And God chose it is providence to put us on the smallest of the places in the Milky Way galaxy. What about that? And uh, brother Philip, he he had a microscope and he or a telescope, and they looked up into the black hole. And he says, "Let me show." He quotes that verse: "So all things consist by Christ." And he takes that telescope and looks up into the black hole, and you'll never believe what he saw in that big black hole a cross. (laughs) And then he says, All things consist by Christ. He said, Take, for example, your skin. And he told how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of capillaries in the size of a piece of skin, the size of a postage stamp. And he looked at that piece of skin under microscope and you'll never believe what we're being held by. Trillions of little crosses. It's called laminin. You'd think God put us together. Man, I almost took off running right there. You'd almost think God put us together and that God made us. Why, well, sure he did. And that's why, brother, it is a sin against God for those of us who know Christ to come to his house and sit like total poles when God has been so gracious to us to save us by his wonderful grace. Isn't that right? Being held, We're being held together by Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman general, the main character in the movie Gladiator, said, From thee are all things, in thee are all things, and to thee are all things. And so when we stand back and see God, listen to me. I know men that make it a point to try to debate the workings of salvation constantly. I was thinking, Brother Kevin, when an astronomer looks up into the heavens, he sees it as a subject. But when a farmer looks up into the heavens, he sees it as an object. <laughs> the astronomer sees it, the universe, and ponders what it is as a subject, but the farmer looks and marvels at it as an object. When you read about God's gracious salvation plan, you can see it as a subject and you'll scratch your head. Or you can see it as an object and say, (laughs) It is a point of doxology. Now, Paul's about to say, In duty. You know that verse in chapter 12, be not conformed to this world. He's going to tell us about duty. But before you can live for him, you've got to know what God has done for you in salvation. And you've got to pause and have your own doxology. I close with this. Whatever mysteries may remain for us in what God does, it is no mystery what our God deserves. He deserves a doxology. He deserves our praise. And I bless his name. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for giving us what you've given us, Lord, in salvation in Christ. For no one here is worthy of anything. And if you, God, would have given us our just or we would all be gone for. We were sinners by birth and sinners by nature. But God, you've given us a brand new birth. And we thank you for it. Thank you for this church, these churches that have come together tonight, and the dear pastors that labor and minister among them. And we pray that God you bless them. Bless the efforts of this Bible conference, and we'll be careful to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.